Never a gospel reading lent itself to lots of moralizing. Today's passage from Matthew would be right there towards the top of the list. This episode comes as Jesus' life and ministry are nearing their climax after his cleansing of the Jerusalem temple when he kicked out a bunch of money changers saying they had turned the place into a den of thieves. And just before his arrest, his rhetoric is heating up and his actions are more confrontational. This morning we heard Jesus lecturing the self-righteous leaders of his day with a harsh lesson about how the tax collectors and prostitutes will advance into the kingdom ahead of those who say the right set of pious words but fail to follow their meaning. And like I said, it's great for moralizing, particularly at this precise moment in our national life. But you know, it taps into one of our favorite themes at Christ Church and a couple of our core values. We live and practice dynamic hospitality and we welcome and celebrate diversity. As a congregation, we've said that we'll try very hard to remove as many impediments hindering people in their Godward journey. We think Jesus means it when he says things like tax collectors and prostitutes can find their way into the kingdom ahead of some who would otherwise consider themselves first in line. We believe that following these words with action will mean we'll have a rather wide assortment of folks in our faith community. Yes, our building is on Park Avenue, a block from Bloomingdale's, but our pretensions are much less about our address and much more about how we can grow into our ability to emulate Jesus' values. It's hard. We slip. We can be lazy. We can be blind to our own corruptions. On the other hand, we claim to mean what we say. That's where the little parable comes in to twist its moralistic dagger. Are we more like the one who says he will go to the vineyard but doesn't, or the one who says he won't go but instead finds his way there and does the job? Of course, there's another option here that Jesus doesn't mention. Say, a third brother who says he'll go to work and promptly does. Jesus didn't offer that alternative in order to make clear the radical reversal in God's economy. The leaders that were challenging his authority understood their actual situation exactly backwards, and Jesus told them so in no uncertain terms. To say they didn't like his interpretation would be an understatement, as the rest of Matthew's story makes clear and his eventual crucifixion makes clear. Now, the moralisms don't stop there. Many sermons have been preached about child-rearing and character-building based on this parable of saying one thing and doing another. From that angle, the logic is completely transparent. It doesn't really require interpretation. That's why Jesus' interlocutors know the right answer immediately. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? That they did have the right answer sets them up for the punchline about the tax collectors and prostitutes. Whether or not parents effectively model responsible character traits, they will, to a person, want that from their children when those traits impact outcomes parents desire. 
a kid who piously, even charmingly, says she'll do her chores or homework and doesn't do them, will find herself in a much worse light than the one who first said no and stumped out of the room but later thought better and accomplished the assigned tasks. I've certainly had that parental experience, but I've also experienced that as both an employee and as a boss and recognize both sides of that dynamic in my own psyche. I'm guessing you can recognize that in your psyche as well. Of course, with moralisms, it's always more pleasant to have the focus on someone else. In this way, we rather like the dynamic of Jesus cleverly sticking it to the enemies. And it should not be lost to us that the author of the Gospel, Matthew, is himself a tax collector and one of the twelve disciples. I'm thinking Matthew likely felt a sweet pleasure at how tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom ahead of Jesus' self-righteous enemies. The larger point we've already named. No one is excluded from God's kingdom of grace, and some who think they have a leg up in the matter may actually find they're a step behind, if not completely on the wrong path. The fact is, we're meant to be agents of God's hospitality, pure and simple. As followers of Jesus, if we don't do that, at a minimum, we've missed the point. We've said one thing and done the other. But there's something else that occurs to me here. For one thing, there's the matter of my identification as a so-called religious leader today. And for another thing, for members of this church, their identification with the so-called religious establishment. From one vantage point, a proper reading puts us in the hot seat. We are the ones Jesus now confronts. And just who do I think I am in lifting up all these moralisms anyway. You know, I have always felt that my best sermons are preached to myself. That is, if I have the right perspective, I will occupy my role with as much modesty and humility as I can muster, knowing that it's a dangerous business to be judging between the sheep and the goats on any given Sunday, since there could be a goat standing up in the pulpit or as today, leading virtual church. But this begs another question. Is it possible that Jesus is preaching to himself as well? We suffer from a flat two-dimensional view of him. We tend to think of him as uh, in purely mythic terms. But don't lose perspective on his human side and his personal inward journey. The Gospels are filled with instances of his going off to pray for extended periods. What else is he doing with all this praying and whatnot if not examining the furniture in his own psyche? I wonder if there isn't an interior resonance to the question he asks the religious authorities. Which of the two sons accomplishes the will of the Father? The Gospels tell us Jesus often addressed God as Abba, Father. In this sense, 
Don't you imagine that throughout his career, he attended to his internal homework? Those who've hung around church over the years or know some of the dramatic moments of his story will remember Jesus' famous prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his betrayal and crucifixion. The text says he threw himself to the ground and said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from my lips. Don't send me out into the vineyard today. I don't want to go. I'm not sure I will go. Will Jesus do the will of his Father? Will his life up to this point flash out as an empty piety? Or will he actually embody what he had been preaching, teaching? Will he go the distance? As if to underscore his existential dilemma, another gospel writer says that in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. The great wonder is, that Jesus does decide to go the distance all the way to the cross and beyond. His decision to go to work in the vineyard is our model and our hope. You heard Paul summarize this beautifully when he wrote, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he, humbly, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that for anyone attempting to follow after the way Jesus blazed, this question looms large. What does it mean to work in the vineyard today? I think we'd agree that our national vineyard is in a very hot mess. The lack of moral clarity has never been greater in my lifetime. There is a glaring, obvious need for people dedicated to loving God and neighbor, anchored in justice, willing to stick their hands and their necks out for the sake of the common good, confronting falsehood and corruption. Will we go and do? And what can that mean while staying distant and masked? Will we talk a good game only, stewing in our own bubble of like-mindedness? Or will we seek putting ourselves into the fray of doing God's kingdom work in whatever way we can? Answering questions like these consumes our time and attention at Christ Church. Part of my job is to help articulate what scripture and tradition, 
experience and reason reveals. But you know, friends, each one of us has our own inner work in front of us. Each of us potentially an agent of God's grace. Imagine. Friends, if we share the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, we're bound to go the distance. Fortunately, we don't go alone. For one thing, we have God's Spirit within us and among us. For another, we have each other. So blessed and informed, imagine if all of us together patterned our lives on the truth. That's our call. That's what we sign up for when we throw our lot in with Jesus and his friends. It's a big deal. A very big deal.